Listening to the Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of the Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. All right, gentlemen, we're here on the Issues Podcast, and we are spending some time today talking about a timely topic. And that topic is New Year's res- resolutions, if I can spit it out and say it properly. New Year's resolutions are things that uh, we hear a lot about this time of year, and, and a lot of people have set them. A lot of people have promoted them. I learned a long time ago not to put any of my New Year's resolutions out on Facebook. Uh, but nevertheless, we see a lot of that. And so I want to get uh, everybody's thoughts today really on the idea of not, not just resolutions, but goal setting as pastors and Christians and um, self-improvement, if that's a good way to put it. Um, the first thing I would ask maybe to start the conversation on a specific note is, is are these New Year's resolutions even biblical? Like, can we say that? Can, can we say you ought to have a New Year's resolution or is it just one way of doing things? Well, I don't think you can point to anywhere Jesus, you know, made New Year's resolutions. So in that sense, no, they're not biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the larger question is, is it biblical to seek to improve yourself? And I think that, I think the answer to that is yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Things like with a lot of things, it depends on your approach. I think resolutions can be helpful. They can be good. But there are downsides to it as well. If, if our resolutions are always reactionary. And not mm-hmm. driven by God's priorities for us. Yeah, which that factors so well into the purpose of this podcast, right? Out of the heart come the issues of life. I mean, we are mm-hmm. we're we're focused on the heart because, and I've heard bad preaching on this, just like probably you both have, and our listeners may have, that God doesn't care why you're doing it. Just do the right thing, and and God will bless it. Um, but God does care about the heart. And so right. I think in this arena, it's very much a heart issue at, at the, at the foundation and discussing it has to be with that in mind. You know? Yeah, but you can have, okay. It depends how you define heart. You can have the right motive, right? With new year's resolutions and with self-improvement, um, you can have the right motive or the right spirit and still be wrong in it because you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah. make sense? So, just because you have a right heart, if that's how you if that's how you're defining heart, just because you have a right spirit in it, a right intention, or you're sincere, doesn't mean you're necessarily going to do it correctly or do yeah, it. Yeah, that is a double edged sword. Yeah, right, <laughs> big time. So, with resolutions, um, what are we? Uh, where do we start here? I mean, talking about some of the problems with New Year's resolutions is I find that they're many times not sustainable. Um, Sometimes I wonder if, if the idea of new, new Year's resolutions actually discourages people more than it helps them. Does that make sense? I think it depends on whether they follow through or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure does. <laughs> reminds us, reminds me of an earlier conversation, but we'll leave that uh, away from the listeners. <laughs> yes, the for a dollar, we'll furnish that as a as a postscript to this podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, the, they're not even outtakes because we weren't recording on purpose for that. Well, oh, anyway. Can yes, I just pause I was, and give, uh, before you get into this, Martin, can I just pause and explain to our listeners what we do, like our our super cool process that we have for kicking these podcasts off? As long as you make okay. us look smart. Okay. Well, here's what happens. We put a few notes together. Uh, all of us say we're going to make notes. Usually two of the three of us do. Um, yes, sometimes eh, I made notes on the last one. Come on. But I guess then all three <laughs> of us did. So that that's true. And then we go from there to we schedule a time and we do this recording (laughs) and we talk for about 10 minutes, mostly about stuff not related or we get distracted and then I push record and it forces us to get into the topic. So you're hearing really unfiltered conversations here and (laughs) not all that well planned, Uh, but but we want them to be productive. And so nevertheless, we go on. All right, Martin, where, where were you going with that? <laughs> I, I believe think, well, where I was going. 
<laughs> is, uh, you know, resolutions, I think when they are counterproductive is when they are other people's resolutions, mm. you know, and you, you look at the lists of, you know, the top 10 resolutions for any particular year, and it's just a current flow of conversation at that time. And if it's not something for you that's personal, then it's probably not going to last. And that can really get you into a dangerous cycle of just hollow resolves where I'm going to mm-hmm. do this and then you don't. And I think that can be a very dangerous habit to get into, whether it's you know weight loss or exercise or you know financial stewardship. If you're just following a trend, then you know that that's a, a faulty premise. I, mm-hmm. I like both of those, you know, Brother Russ, your point that, you know, if they're not sustainable, they're not helpful. And that point you just made, Brother Wickens, about just borrowing other people's or the spirit of the age. I think another mistake people make with resolutions is um, taking them too seriously from the standpoint of looking at them through the lens of like an Old Testament vow that you cannot be released from and you absolutely have to do. Yeah. And they become um, they become chains. They become um you know, uh, the, the the ball and chain around your ankle and you can't actually progress anymore because you're so bent on, on accomplishing the specifics of this. Well, I said I was going to do and so I'm going to do and you you miss the larger point. I'm terrible that way with books. If I start a book, I have to finish it no matter how bad it is. There's only one book I can think of that I never finished and it, it was just so, so awful. I couldn't finish it. But you know, uh, there's probably a lot more books I shouldn't have bothered finishing, but um, you know that can be a a downside that I have. I suspect you may have the same tendency, Tom. You know, I used to be that way. I used to not be able to finish a book, and I've gotten to the place where um, I've sort of mentally figured up how many books I have left to read in my life. If I read 50 books a year, I think I'm on 56 or 57 this year. If I read 50 books a year, I only have, what, 1,500 more books I can read. So I don't want to read bad ones. So I'm more prone now when I'm reading a book, if it's bad, just to shelve it, tag it on Goodreads as not finished, not not compelling, not finished, mm-hmm. and just move on. But I used to be that way. I used to think I had to have – if I didn't finish a book, I didn't have character. So I guess it, it's sort of that same idea of if if you approach resolutions that way, you've you've gotten yourself boxed and pinned into a corner. Yeah, my, my problem is, you know, it's not not finishing books. It's starting them, period. <laughs> well, we, we, Brother Wickens and I plan to get you a subscription to, cal- to uh, uh, Coloring Book of the Month Club. So, Oh, I will, I will definitely start and finish those. I can't help but finish a good coloring book. Yeah, that'll work. His kids are going to be uh, relieved that he will stop borrowing their coloring books now. <laughs> They're like, Daddy, but, where's my you know, Mickey Mouse book? <laughs> so I don't know, son. Disney, you, you, know, let yeah. your, you let your kids call it Disney? That was a hypothetical. We're going to get letters. Yeah, all of them. Uh, so, so coming back to mistakes people make with resolutions then, I, I think another one might be when we become so fearful of making resolutions because we view any New Year's resolutions as being too pragmatic or being too businesslike. Um, we... You know, there's there, there's been, and I think some healthy pushback against reading all the CEO type self improvement books for pastors, um, mm-hmm. because we are not CEOs. You know, a pastor they share some similarities with being a CEO, but it's not the same thing. And right. so, out of that pushback has come that idea of, well, I can't then purposely try to improve myself because that's too pragmatic, or that's too much like what the business world would do. And so, we don't mm-hmm. do something smart because that's what the business world would do, which makes it worldly. And you think that's a problem? I do. Problematic Be- mindset. Yeah, that that's a that's a really good phrase. Yeah, that's a really good. Phrase. It, it, it's a it's an unhealthy way to think, because then you're actually against. Doesn't the Bible tell us to grow in grace? Right. It does. Um, you become again. The Bible tells us whatsoever the hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. So what God has called us to do, what whatever it is, what whatever our listeners are doing, if you're. It doesn't matter if God has called you to do something, to be something, we should do it as well as we possibly can, which then leads to, you know, that equals then I must try to get better at what I'm doing and what I am. Yeah, so I made some I found notes that here. struggle. Big time. Sorry, sorry go ahead, Stephen. <laughs> no, that's fine. I was just going to say, I made some notes here that we err in this area of, is it okay to use the term self-improvement going forward in this? I think that's a good term or personal growth, would that be a better way to phrase it? We err in this area of 
uh, personal growth because we set goals that are not sustainable. We set goals that are not original uh, or at least not personal. They're somebody else's goals. We set goals and then we're not flexible. Uh, and then we set goals and we never start them and they're never implemented. And they're things that we, we say we're going to do, but we're going to do. I, I was just looking up because I was curious that the top U.S. New Year's resolutions for 2022 were to number one was exercise more. Number two was eat healthier. Number three was to lose weight. Number four was to spend more time with family and friends. Number five, live more economically. Number six, spend less time on social media. Number seven, to reduce stress on the job. And number eight, which is this is where the list ends. It wasn't 10. It was eight was to quit smoking. Um, those are those are the common ones. Matter of fact, there's this statistic thing that um, basically says that that's pretty much the same list every year. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of changes to that list that demonstrates how reactionary it is that going into 2020, um, I think higher on that list was to to manage my money better. Mm -hmm. And there was another one. I know the friends and family one. I don't have it in front of me now, but the friends and family one went up post-COVID but now it's gone back down again. So it's like yeah. nobody saw friends and family and they're like, I want to see friends and family more. And then they they saw friends and family again and they were like, all right, that's enough of that. So it's kind <laughs> of, it's it's been this reaction to circumstances and it's it's not deliberate, it's not systematic. It's, you know, and yeah. by and large, New Year's re resolutions are not God-driven ideals they're what's in the newspaper right so if we have a if, if we're so inclined to set a a uh, and, and and here's the thing i encourage my church folks to set reasonable goals for a new year um we have a vision sunday a lot of churches do that um our theme this year tom was growing grace and in the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ second peter three eighteen. Because our church at the time was going through this this church growth of numeric attendance, and I was concerned that we were going to grow numerically and not in spirit yeah. and in truth and and in the scriptures. And so I said, let's do that. And the only way that we've really promoted this growth in grace is through teaching on it and teaching on different areas that that I you know I think God wants us to grow in. We've we've covered Second Peter. Then we, uh, I did something really odd this year. I, I went from Second Peter at the beginning of the year. We finished that. I went from there to Hosea, and uh, was woefully uh, unprepared to do so. And so we got done with that really fast. And then we went back to First First Peter. I'm not lying. I'm just being real. And then we went back to First Peter, and I did it in reverse. And I told our people, I said, "You may be wondering why we went in reverse." And the answer is, I don't know. But it really has turned out to be super good for our church because both of those letters, those epistles have been fantastic for growing in grace. Amen. And mm -hmm. so many of the things our church has needed this year have come just through that systematic study of those particular passages of scripture. So well, um would you say that go ahead. you know that the phrase growing in grace that has to include growing in the graces that God has given us. You know, when Paul wrote mm -hmm. to the church at Corinth, he said, you know, you abound in all these graces, yeah, right. abound in this grace also and giving was one of those mm -hmm areas and so growing in grace i, th I think it's yeah. such a broad term that um it's, it's worthy of a, a detailed study so well, that's a good point spiritual gifts are are a grace they are gifts of grace so if we're going to grow it, i think i think what we're trying to establish here is that it is a good thing to set your mind toward personal growth so long as that personal growth is in line with the will of god for the believer yeah and i and i don't think who we are is more important than what we do or what we quote unquote accomplish. Um, Jesus Christ came to form us into the image of himself, right? He saved us from sin, freed us from sin. Mm -hmm. We formed in the image of Christ, not necessarily to have, you know, a full bus um, as a bus captain. But having said that, what we do for the Lord and, you know, whether it's for our family or for our future or for our church or what we do for the Lord generally speaking, does not thrive, does not come to the place of being healthy and grow unless we're growing. Because mm -hmm. what we do is an extension of who we are. And you have to be careful with mm -hmm. that because who you are is not what you do. But what we do is often an extension of who we are. And I don't think, I, I had to come to a place, and of course I'm a pastor, I had to come to a place of realizing that my church was not going to grow until I grew as an individual. 
I had to develop my own capacity, my own ability, you know, in certain areas, I had to improve myself if my church was going to take steps to the next level because it followed me. And if I didn't go there, it wasn't going to go there either. Yeah. Yes. So do you think that we have overreacted or overcorrected to what we might label as results-based ministry so much so that now we we just say that you know it's it's not about growth at all we we kind of lay down and and whatever because tom your statement i think is where that's where i want to get clarity for my own personal self here through this conversation is i do want to grow um not only do i want to grow personally I, I want our church to grow and i don't feel i don't feel like i have all the answers as to why i'm justified in that but yet i don't feel like it's a bad thing and some people well, would say it's a bad thing, you know? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, a guy like me can put a guy like you on defense, on defensive in the sense of I can be so, you know, and I have a, a history of this in print and in, you know, on podcasting of being against pragmatism. Mm-hmm. And I still am, as I sit here today, but I can be so much that way that it can lead people to think that I'm against growth or I'm against improvement if we're if we're going to use that word the bible word is growth and it's not true i'm not against that um and i don't want to make guys like and that's one reason i i value guys like you brother russ in my life who push back on that in a biblical way and challenge my thinking to make sure i'm not just being reactionary um and that i'm actually being biblical in my position and and you know, that idea of why am I doing this and what am I focusing on? And, you know, you were, we were talking earlier about process and maybe this would be a good time to bring that up. You know, what am I focusing on? That kind of a thing that right. even just that sort of helps me understand what it is, you know, where you're coming from, what we're trying to accomplish. Can I, before we go into that, can I ask, where do you feel like, because you just explained <laughs> your um, your take, right? Where Where do you feel like that? came from for you why why do you come across in the sense that you're against so against pragmatism that people might think you're against growth where where does that come from for you personally um i think it springs out of my royal frustration with so much of american christianity's embrace of worldliness Mm. out of a sincere desire to reach people the desire Mm -hmm. is sincere we want to reach people we want to get people in church, we want to get people saved, but they violate the word of God right and left to do so. And it's not just my generation. I would make an argument that Billy Graham did this in the 1950s. And so, you know, it's, it's not new. It's just very, very prevalent in our generation. And there's something about it that just, I don't want to say it angers me because I'm not sure that's biblical, but, but sometimes it does. And so as a result of that, I can overreact sometimes or at least give the impression of overreacting sometimes. Like I'm against anything that would make anything better because then that's unbiblical. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, not only is that statement not accurate, to how I feel, what I believe, but it certainly is not biblical. It's not biblical to be against trying to grow in grace. Um, it, it, it's not biblical to be to, to insist that we cannot change anything, otherwise we're compromising. That's not biblical either. I guess where I want to be is in a place that is hungry to, to reach God-given potential. And we ha- we had somewhat of a discussion about this recently among the three of us and maybe extended beyond that with some other pastors, I think, on the importance of passion in what we do. Um, and so- sort of the secular view on passion seems to be, you know, do what you're passionate about. Uh, I heard I was just watching an interview that Kobe Bryant did on um Oh, it was the finance uh, uh, version of the mainstream media. What anybody know what that is? Like Fox Business or something like that. Mad Money, maybe. And before he died, you know, he was talking about how professional athletes their retirement is early because it could be thirty four, it could be thirty seven if you're lucky, uh, which is what where he retired. And he said, so the answer to that is that the next step in life needs to be what am I passionate about? You know, not. Not how can I make money, but what am I passionate about? And in that sense, I, I, I appreciate that. So I want to be passionate about the right things so that I can be productive in those right things and Lord willing, achieve by his grace, some sort of growth, personal growth 
through that. Does that make sense in in the Christian sense, I guess? Yeah, assuming you you know don't lean too heavily on Kobe Bryant there for your support. Right. Um, right. Illustration only. <laughs> I think I, I think you know Jesus said Jesus clarified in the New Testament. You know, the first and greatest commandment is, "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength." And what mm-hmm. we often forget in that in that wording is the word mind. We're supposed to mm-hmm. love him with all of our mind, which means that involves not just the process of thinking, but but being logical, being being you know um, organized, being systematically, intellectually uh, moving yourself along to what's next, almost like climbing a set of stairs. Um, mm-hmm. And I am I am supposed to be pursuing likeness to Christ, right? That's what He gives me the Holy Spirit for, and. I'm supposed to be leading my church to pursue likeness to Christ. And so it is it is eminently biblical and wise for me to sit down and think with my mind, how can I accomplish this? How can I do this? How can I get there? It's not as much results oriented, although I'm saying how can I get to being like Christ, but it's not numbers oriented. It's mm-hmm. how can I be more obedient? How can I be more formed into the image of Christ? How can I become more of what he made me to be to accomplish his will? Uh, you used the phrase earlier, Brother Russ, about, and this is where I want to come back to this, about being focused on the process rather than the results. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to take a moment and expand on that? Well, okay, yes. And this is where I view resolutions or goals or um, self-improvement as being a very valid thing for any Christian. And that is this, that once you identify, Tom, you said it, who God wants you to be, who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you identify that and understand that that's so much more important than what we ever do or accomplish in life, then we set our goals and objectives in life based around a biblical process. Um, it was Adoniram Judson, right, who had no converts up to what, right. year eight. And, right. Right. and so I think about that. So the Christian can't just say it's not working, therefore it must not be right. That's where pragmatism takes over. That's where we say, well, my church isn't growing, so what I'm doing must be wrong because, quite frankly, it may not be wrong. Um, but then, you know, eventually it started to happen. But I don't believe that was because he just kept doing the same old flawed activities. I think that was because he was drawing nearer to God in that process and probably had a pretty steep learning curve, I would imagine, <laughs> being the yeah, missionary well, I think that he was. Cool. It was the same thing with William Carey and Adoniram Judson. And I think it's, it's a valuable example in that we say, you know, just keep pressing on, keep, keep working, keep striving. But you look at where they were, they, they were truly in pioneer situations where yes. the name Jesus had never been heard. And so, you know, I, I think we, we take those examples with the understanding that our situation may not be the same. And and again, I think we're we're kind of moving backwards and forwards on the pendulum of, you know, we need to strive to improve. We need to press on and don't change for the sake of change. Um, But I think what you and Tom have both said is, is leaning towards something I've been thinking about is that Christians, I think above all people should be people who strive to improve. Okay. So let me ask you this, Martin, you have a, you have a background in retail. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So I don't have that. Tom doesn't necessarily have that, I don't think. Um, how, how is this conversation? I feel like your perspective is is needed here because maybe you might have some different training <laughs> in that regard. You know, where do you see the crossover being helpful and where do you see it being harmful? It, it's been something of a journey because... I remember initially going through some um, training to go into senior management and retail. And I remember looking through binders and, and training materials and thinking, well, this is, I can find parallels in the book of Proverbs. I can find parallels in Christian principles. And at that time, you know, I came to the understanding that God has built wisdom into this world in the same way he's built the laws of gravity. If it's genuine wisdom that's from above, then, you know, it's of the Lord. And so I can take it and implement it. But then I did get affected by the idea that you don't bring the business world into the church. And so there were perfectly valid things that I I went away from 
that even now I'm starting to rethink and say, you know, actually, that's a good way to work with people. You know, that's a good way to, you know, implement a program or to improve myself in a systematic, deliberate way. And so I think I'm, I'm kind of revisiting some of those things. Uh, and it's very much along the lines of the conversation we've been having. Yeah, no, and that's that's very helpful because I feel like we all waffle between the two, right? We think, okay, I can't take too much of this on myself, and therefore um, it, we trend toward inactivity at times, mm-hmm. or maybe less productive activity, or we think it all rides on us, and so we don't leave any room for the Holy Spirit just to say, hey, you know, let me take care of this. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You read about the Old Testament. Um, Jews, how many times did God win their battles and they never picked up a sword? And I was just preaching recently on that where um, in 2 Kings 7, the Syrians disappeared in the night because they heard the sound of a great army coming. And that was God. Mm-hmm. God sent bees in to drive out the people. God can do all those things. And yet they were always battling. They had a sword. They were active. There's that balance in all of that that's just, to me, yeah. it's a constant struggle. So where I've kind of come to, and I'm very imperfect in this area, I I really, I liked what you said a minute ago, Martin, that it's been a journey. So I'm going to steal that from you and apply it to what I'm saying about me. And that is that in my journey, I've had to grow in my goals and in my my pursuits to be more process-driven and less results-based, but never to lose the ambition of a result. Tom, Mm -hmm. you even struggled with that and what you said just a minute ago mm-hmm. where you said, I know I'm telling you to get somewhere, but it's not results-based. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. and I understand what you're saying. So for instance, one way that that could look is like, sometimes we say we want to see a certain number of people saved. There's nothing wrong with having a prayer goal. Um, I'm praying in the new year, God lets me see 52 people saved through personal, uh, not not at the altar or at the church, but through personal discussions. and. That may seem low for some and high for others, but my goal is not to see 52 people saved. My goal is going to be to witness to a certain number of people because I'm starting to notice that if you witness to maybe around 10 people, one of them might get saved. And that's so that's where I'm going to set my sights. I'm going to understand that not every person I witness to is going to get saved. And if I end up at the end of the year with less or more than 52, I'm going to praise God but I'm going to set my goal at the process. And then, you know, maybe instead of saying, I want to pastor a certain number of people by the end of 23, you might say, I'm going to make a certain number of contacts because I'm going to be the shepherd, the under shepherd that God has called me to be. And I'm not going to um, abandon my post, so to see, so to speak, I'm going to increase my, my effort. None of those things necessarily make me a better person. None of those things make me more um, praiseworthy in any way, but they are process-driven things that this is this is what I love about goals is, is like Jonathan said to his armor bearer, it may be that the Lord will fight for us. And I <laughs> love that thought. Like like I, that to me has been something I have grabbed onto so many times that that if we just go forward and if we just have passion about what God wants us to love and and invest in, it may be. I mean, we don't really know what the result will be, but it might be something incredible. And that that hopefulness, I think, is a Christian quality, right? We're supposed to be people of hope, anticipating God doing what we know he can do. That's a, that's mm-hmm. the way I think about it. Well, my pastor growing up, he was from Northeast Georgia, and he had a saying for everything. I mean, just <laughs> everything, you know, and he would always say, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. Yeah. You know, and and that's it. If you don't have a, a target, if you don't have a goal, you're not going to try and find a process. If you don't have a process, you're not going to get anywhere, and you stagnate. And you know, for a Christian, I would say that's just wrong. So, so yeah, we, go ahead. We sort of talk through this idea of whether this is a good thing or not, you know, and try to balance that. And then we've shifted a little bit to how do we do that? Could we move a little further down that line of so assuming that growing in grace is a biblical thing and how we're interpreting it in the context of this podcast of self-improvement and <laughs> not to be pragmatic, but how, <laughs> how do we do that? 
right? How, he's getting how, there, Stephen. He's getting there. Yeah, no, we've been, not, we're having an no, effect on him. I love it. <laughs> You're having an influence. Yes. Yes. I don't want to become one of those old preachers who's just won't listen to anybody younger than him. Oh, amen. So, how, so having said that, you so, asked. So how do we do it? How, how do we how do we grow? How do we grow an area over? You know, let's say that you know someone's listening to this and they lead a bus ministry or they lead a Sunday school class or a jail ministry or you know it's a pastor with a church or you know, a, a mother who wants to improve her children, help them to grow. Um, how, what are some things in common that we can sort of bring to bear on this process as we discuss it? Mm-hmm. I was looking at Proverbs twenty two twenty nine earlier, where it said, seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. Uh, and I think diligent in business. And, you know, there are things that are, you know, outside. So I, I think, Tom, you've mentioned about personal growth and professional growth. I think there are things that are our business to do. There, there's our life's calling as a, a minister of the gospel or whatever it is we do for a business, for our, our career, our, our you know, way of living. And we need to be diligent in it, fervent in it, striving to, to grow. And, and I think within that verse, there is the idea there of increasing your skill. And, you know, and, and so I think that's one of those areas. You don't just sit back and say, okay, I can do my job. You know, you should say, okay, how can I do my job better? How can I be more efficient? What books do I need to read? What podcasts do I need to listen to? And I think a vital thing we may or may not get to later, but who do I hang around with that's going to pull me up and not just leave me comfortable where I am? And so I know I'm throwing a lot out there at the moment, but I think it's diligent and determined. I I agree with all of that. I think all of that is good. And and I think that that idea of figuring out where I'm at and where I want to go. Mm-hmm. You have to identify accurately. Who's the French philosopher? You say, know thyself. It wasn't Kobe Bryant, but somebody like Voltaire. that. Um, oh, don't get me started on Voltaire. Um, anyway, the idea <laughs> of knowing where you're French at. French philosopher names. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, did, I really didn't know. <laughs> did it start with Pierre? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Was it Descartes? I don't know. I'm probably pronouncing that one wrong. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the idea is that before you can get somewhere, before you can grow, you have to figure out where you're yeah. at. Which means mm-hmm. you have to identify your weaknesses. So I have to look at myself and yeah. say, and this is where I think New Year's, we come back to New Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's sort of psychologically helpful for us as humans to say, this year's closing, the next one's starting. Where am I weak that I need to be strong? If, mm-hmm. if I want to go here, where am I at so that I can start? What areas do I need to improve in? What areas does my church need to be strengthened in? Where are we weak? So let me add to that, that I think methodology follows mindset. That's basically a summary of what I heard you say, is that we need to identify where where we need to be and then go from there to establish the method of how to get there. Um, one of the things- But before that the- all that, don't you need to know where you are, which I think is- is that what you were kind of emphasizing, Tom, or are we yeah. both? You can't fix something if you don't know what you're trying to fix. Okay. Okay. You don't so, know what's broken. So, yeah. You have to determine what the hindrances are, don't you? Um, at some point, yes. You know, what are the barriers between me and where mm-hmm. I want to get, who I want to be? Yep. You know, if right. I want to run, if I want to be the kind of guy that runs marathons, what's the barriers between me and there? Well, enormous, well, but that's, that's another discussion. But I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to, I really, never mind. Um, well, the visual yeah, image of that was painful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of had a, a, you know, a, a scary thought as you were saying that, Tom, not about the marathon, but about um, improving. You've, you've got to know where you're at. And so I'm thinking if mm-hmm. I want to improve as a preacher, then maybe I need to send my sermons to a friend and say, hey, look critique me and that's going to say okay this is where you're at this is where you're weak brother wickens and, and that would brother that would hurt aren't you married <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah i started but learning she loves how to phrase me. my you know i, I, I learned how to never phrase heard my a bad post sermon from me Oh my word! I, you, oh yeah, she's man. got the she's got the box with a thousand dollars and three eggs under the bed. That's what she's got. <laughs> Ooh, that's an old literally one. eggs, right? <laughs> that's an old one, man. Yeah. Uh, no, I learned how to rephrase my post Sunday questions to my wife a long time ago to get the answers that I wanted, not needed. Do you think my message pleased the Lord? There you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I would much rather ask the question. Hey, that went well today. Almost like. 
yeah, it went well today. And that's all I want to hear as opposed to how did you feel about that? <laughs> um, but don't Martin, to your point. Okay. So I, I guess I take a, I don't think this is a different approach. I'm just, as you guys are talking, I'm, I'm thinking about certain um, principles that I try to follow here. And yes, one of them is you have to acknowledge where you are. Uh, my mind goes mm-hmm. to second Kings seven again, where the lepers said, um, you know, we're here. If we stay here, we're going to die. We if we die. go into the we city, go there, we're, we're going to die. If we go out there, we might die, but it's our best shot. You know? <laughs> so it was this acknowledgement of the situation, but then that acknowledgement of their situation led them to action because they finally went up to the encampment and they got to see what God had done in the night. Well, so to acknowledge where you're at is good, but I would encourage you to be careful about spending too much time on identifying the negatives <laughs> That's where you're going to get in the weeds. If you get if you get overburdened with your, um, well, have you ever heard of SWAT? Yes. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities. Mm-hmm. What's the T? I lost I lost my my train of thought there. Strengths, strengths, weaknesses, heard opportunities. Of it. It doesn't mean we know it. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, the the strengths <laughs> and weaknesses were was probably where I stopped. Uh, if we tell you everything, the then you know you're never going to grow. So we're just going to let you yeah. research that one. Well, you identify your strengths because that could be the grace of God's spiritual gift upon you. That could be where God is is giving you that passion to do something. And 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 not everyone's calling goes along with necessarily their most comfortable activity. Uh, because mm-hmm. I know a lot of preachers who don't like to do public speaking, but God's called them to do it. Um, but at the same time, you don't spend a lot of time on the threats or the weaknesses, threats, there you go, opportunities or threats. Uh, you don't spend a lot of time on that because you'll get bogged down with the negative. So identifying right, and the hindrances is good, but it can't yeah. be everything. But that's what plays into the the victim mindset, isn't it? It's a constant focus upon what's wrong. And, you know, all of us are prone to it. I remember a young man when I was pastoring in Northern Ireland there was one youth club evening where the whole evening he was, you know, he stood in one end, he spoke to someone who spoke another language. He's like, oh man, I'd love to learn French. And then later on, he said to someone else, oh, I'd love to, to play snooker or pool the way you do. And then, you know, someone else, he said, oh, I'd love to play the guitar. And I kind of lost my temper a little bit. I was like, okay, Stephen, teach him. He's like, what? And I said, he keeps saying he wants to learn. Teach him. And the kid was like, well, not now. And I'm like, okay, then stop saying you want to do things if you're never going to do it. Can I, and- can I tell you where this comes to me is if I had a dime for every time someone told me they're going to write a book. They get around me for some they, reason. They, no, they 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 think they think about writing a book, and then they get around me. They, I'm going to write a book, and I'm like, you've been telling me this for years at this point. You know, Martin, he's not years. talking about you, man. Don't take this personal. I know what you're thinking. Oh, I am taking it personally because I'm trying to write a book. I sat down the other day and I wrote for a while, and I'm like, I've got to have added like 1,500 words to this. And then I checked, and it was like 300 words more. I'm like, Ugh. okay, okay, but Tom, but anyway, let's no, let's use let's use what you just said as an example here. At a certain point in your life, you decided I'm going to start writing. You had to sure. acknowledge both where you were in that process, but you really had to say this is why I want to be there. You had to establish the vision of where you wanted to be and then go after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I will say that your your vision is not as clear initially. At least it wasn't for me. And that's true in almost everything I've ever done. God takes it further than I envisioned it. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? I, I start with, I love that passage just in Exodus chapter four. What passage is it where, where God says he wants to use Moses? Moses says, you know, I, I I can't I can't serve you. I'm no good. And God says, "What is that in thine hand? What do you have? Just give me what mm-hmm. you have, and I'll turn <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll I'll turn that. I'll multiply that. You know, the the little boy with the lunch and bringing it to Jesus. That same idea. Um, I don't know that my vision necessarily was for where I'm at. You know, right. when I started writing seven years ago. Um, but that is an example of yes, I felt like. Um, I needed to write and I wasn't ever going to become a writer if all I ever did was talk about writing. I had to start writing and, you know, writers write. They don't just talk about it. They actually write. And so that's did what Did you happened. do anything I, to improve your ability or to learn the process of writing or did you just sit down and chapter one and hit the road? I didn't start with books. I started with blogs. Uh, yeah. Books okay. are expensive to publish. Blogs are free. 
Um, and actually, I've heard people say that, that if you want to write a book, start by writing a blog. You know, it disciplines you, it gives you practice. And so whether you knew it or not, you were kind of taking the step yeah, and to I didn't improve your ability. But yeah, I was just, I, I was just, I'm going to write and let God do with it what he wants. In the process of that, did I improve? Yeah, I'll take my first book, for example, which is about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I can look at that book now and I can see that the second half of that book is much better written than the first half of that book. That's my personal opinion because I grew in progression as a writer. Oh, Generally, minute, I you, thought you were saying that the second half of the Sermon on the Mount was better than the first. And no, I was like, wait a minute. No. Everything on. Jesus ever said was perfect. <laughs> there right. you go. No. Um, but I think uh, let's go back to the illustration of a book because a book is a picture to me in my mind of you, you, you have this thing that you want to accomplish. And I, and for me, Every New Year's, I choose something that I want to do. Um, personally, I, I want to get this accomplished this year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's to buy a home for my family. Maybe it's to publish another book. Maybe it's to, to just do something. And then I choose something for church that I want to accomplish or I want to strengthen. And it helps me not necessarily to make 12 different resolutions, but to choose one thing on each side, personal, professional, that I can work at. And then I break that down into smaller segments. Okay. So, mm-hmm. If it is publish a book, then I got to write it, then I got to get it edited, then I got to get formatted, then I got to pay for it, then I got to you know get it published, and then I got to get it listed, and then I got to do all this stuff and promote it. And so you you break it down into these into these markers that you say, okay, I've got this far, now I'm on to the next one. Um, so for me, it's it's choosing one thing, one area I want to strengthen, or one thing I want to do, and then trying to break that down in the course of a year into manageable chunks. Yeah, but see again. That's such a perfect example because I've, I know your story. You didn't just start enjoying the process of reading uh, as you were as you started the process of writing. You had reading oh, yeah. put into you. Was it by your father? Yes. So here you have something that is very important to you, and that's reading, and you naturally want to contribute to it. So God is using that beyond yes. your wildest dreams and imagination because you finally started to do it. And you started small and you went after it and you were singular focused. I love what you just said. I'm just trying to, I'm retelling the story based on what I heard you say. You picked one thing and you said, here we go. We're going to go after this one thing and you invest in that one thing. That's a great model, by the way, is picking maybe the five most important areas of life. You know, the first being that you're a child of God. The second, maybe that you're a spouse, uh, depending on who's listening, husband or wife. Or, or a son or a daughter, you're a pastor, you're a friend, um, you are a writer, and you get those things in priority. You establish one thing that you want to improve or add value to in each area, and you went after it with such a... The, my point is, is that the whole desire that you have was not necessarily to be rich and famous as an author. It was to contribute something, and it was to be used. Sure. Does that make sense? Is that am I right? Am yes, I sir. summarizing correctly? Yes sir. yes, sir. So sometimes we set our goals based on, oh man, I need to make more money. And so uh what am I okay, what about real estate? What about this? What about that? What about the other? You know, and we're all over the place in areas that we don't know anything about. Um, maybe we could learn them through reading. Maybe we could learn them, but but we have a hard time. I know I struggle with clarity because I got a lot of irons in the fire. And yeah, see, that's a that's a great point to bring up, brother Russ. The more okay, the more complicated your life is, the more you've divided yourself up into little pieces. The harder it is to say this one thing I do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's it becomes to quote another pastor, uh, these ten things I dabble at instead of this one thing I do. Um, yeah, you know, as a pastor, if if I look at my church and I identify, okay, I think we're weak in these four or five areas that I think we need to improve in. I'm not going to try to improve in all five this year. I'm going to pick one. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Let's say our music program needs improved or let's yeah. say our Sunday school needs better, needs more organized, or we need to, you know, have, have our, our teachers need to be in better condition to teach and have be equipped with more resources. And, or, you know, I've got a, our soul winning program is anemic and I've really got to strengthen that. I just choose one of those every year. And if you choose one every year and you work at it systematically and really hard and you work at it with a mindset of, as much as lieth in me, I'm going to fix this permanently in the sense of I'm not just going to get this plate spinning and then move on and spin the next plate because I'm going to have to come mm-hmm. back and spin the plate. You know, I'm, go- I'm going to fix it so well that it will essentially continue to function, you know, at a high level. Um, it has helped me as a pastor to choose one of those every year. And then I look back over 10 years and 
mm-hmm. I find I really like the church I'm in. Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah. It, uh, well, you're trying to set up something generational, aren't you? It's like, this isn't just going to last for a year or two years. Yes. I want this to, to become the DNA of this local assembly. And where that's, that's a difficult as a pastor yeah. um, is, I think, the what I've heard referred to as the tyranny of the urgent. And so, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. you kind of lack the the opportunity sometimes to do what you want because there are things that you have to do. But if you don't make a determination and say, okay, this this emergency, uh, you know, I'm going to have to deal with it, but then I've got to get back to something more deliberate, more uh, long-term. And, and that takes work in itself, organizing your life in such a way that you can focus on yeah. one thing and do it well. I love that. And that might be the first step. That might be the first step for some of our listeners <clears throat> is to restructure their lives and you know, I, I've spoken to church planters who are trying to do everything, and I've said, "Look, would it be?" And maybe this will upset some people, but would it be the worst thing in the world to pour all your energy into a Sunday morning service and not have a Sunday evening? But do that Sunday morning to the best of your ability. Do that one thing well, and then grow to a Sunday evening. Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even disagree with that necessarily. You know, you right. you fix that one, and then you move on and work on another. That's one. a that's a relief. That's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I must have like this. <laughs> I must have this awful reputation where people just are tiptoeing on eggshells around me all the time, afraid that they're no, going no. to blow up like a firework. Well, but you know what I mean. Like as as a church planner or a small church, a struggling church, you think we've got to keep doing everything because <laughs> yes. this yeah. is what churches do, yeah. rather than stepping back and saying, you know what. If yeah. I tell the church for three months, we're not having a Sunday evening, here's the reason why. I want us to focus on this and then we're going to launch back out and, you know, whatever the case may be, um, but restructuring your life <laughs> to enable you to yeah. grow might be the first step. And and I can say this as someone who's pastoring a church right now that runs around that close to that 300 mark, There, the same principle applies for me. We mm-hmm. love we love events at our church. Um, I do a sportsman's banquet every year. We have a Christmas concert. We have a, a ladies meeting. We have all this stuff. I love events. I love putting events together. I love doing all that. But quite frankly, we can get out of balance with that. And I've had to learn that it's not all about it's not about doing a hundred different events. It's about focusing on the areas that are important at the time and in that moment. Now. Going back to what Tom said, he asked if he had a specific reputation, can neither confirm nor deny. But I did want to <laughs> say one thing going back even further than that, and that is that one of the things that I've been helped by being around you guys is the having that mindset of leaving a legacy. Because Martin, isn't that what you said just a minute ago, Martin? You're trying to we're leaving something generational. I think Yeah, generational change. Yeah. Yeah. Or and, a generational and, improvement. Correct. Well, here I am, the youngest pastor among you know the three of us, uh, and Not by much, and by by a significant amount of years. He every um, episode he throws that out there. Uh, it's just getting started, brother. And uh, among our <laughs> among my among my my peer group, I tend to be around some of the older pastors a little bit more. So I'm trying to right now lay those things, lay those building blocks in place so that I'm not rushing to do it the last 10 years of my ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that you guys said was maybe focus on one thing. And and for me, last year in 2022, that was getting our church constitution updated. And there were a lot of other things that needed to be done. And I just knew that it would be very difficult for our church to sustain growth without the proper document there. And I'm not trying to overemphasize something that is, in essence, pieces of paper with ink on it. Uh, but I wanted the foundation to be established and I wanted some of the process to be established so that we can go forward and establish these things with a clear mind and a clear heart. And this year we have other things like that. I have things personally that I want to see done. I even I even set um, I even set uh, a personal goal um, that has to do with a hobby that I love. It's just something that I want to do this cool. year. Good. That it's it, and in, and here's the thing: it's not even results based. It's to, I'm going after the experience of it. I'm going to learn something in that. Good. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to boil it all down and to bring it to a close, we do have some closing remarks that are a little bit different that we want to do today. So I'll try to bring it to that point quickly here. 
be careful about setting goals and resolutions that are not sustainable, not original, and not flexible. Goals are designed to stretch you. They're not designed necessarily to get everything on the list checked off. Um, if you can check all of your lists off, you're either the most driven person in the world or you're not setting goals that are high enough. And so Amen. just just stretch and grow. Growth is the growth is the goal, but not necessarily the kind of results-based growth that we all that we that we sometimes pursue. And then make sure that those goals are process driven and that you pour yourself into having a biblical and Christ-centered process. It's not wrong to always analyze yourself on that and say, is this what God wants me to do? Is this the road that God wants me to go down? Um, I'll tell you this right now, our church is doing something we've never done before. At the first of the year, we're doing a 21-day fast. And it's not not everyone's going to fast from food for 21 days. I don't want to give you that idea. But there will be periods of time that people fast from food. There will be periods of time that people fast from social media. There will be periods of time where all of that happens. And we're doing that because we see a lot of opportunities ahead. And part of the problem is going through the right doors and taking the right opportunities because right. I want to do everything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I want to be involved in everything. And that's just not sustainable. Um, do you guys have any kind of closing remarks or further thoughts on that before we move forward? I think I kind of touched on it a little bit before, but I would highlight the importance in, in improving ourselves, especially especially as church leaders, is choosing choosing a mentor who is going to mm-hmm. mm. drive us, but also encourage us and lift us. You know, choose the kind of people that you want to become like to allow to invest in you and to influence you, uh, because behavior is contagious and we've just got to be so careful about who we choose to associate with, not exclusively, but in terms of who do we allow to influence us. That That's sounds good. like a podcast episode of its own, doesn't it? <laughs> Dom, anything from you? I'll just say amen to what Martin said. And uh, Okay. Martin, you have be- been the elected one to close us out with some thoughts. Friends, For the glory of God, the sake of the gospel, the good of our families, and the satisfaction it brings us, we should endeavor to consistently and systematically improve ourselves. New Year's resolutions have a place, but we should not confuse them with the personal and professional growth that is God-led and God-honoring. Neither should we confuse devotional, relational growth with improvement in skills and abilities. Christians ought to lead the way in stewarding the gifts that we have been given. And Christian leaders particularly should diligently seek to discover the skills that God has given them and then spend a lifetime improving them. The reputation in some of our circles for slovenly service, an adverse spirit towards academics, and a disdain for exercise is a shameful mark against us. Historically, many Christian scientists excelled as they searched for the fingerprints of their creator in creation. Pastors were renowned for excellence in learning as they read widely and took seriously their responsibility to know and make known God's word, making it knowable by using all the resources at their disposal. As with any other grace, God only holds us responsible for the ability and opportunity with which he has gifted us. To grow, whether personally or professionally, we must consider where we are, where we want to be and how we will get there. We must work diligently, deliberately, and systematically if we are to achieve the goals that we believe God has for us. We must choose the right mentors that will push us and draw us to be better. May God help us to be a people who grow in grace, knowledge, and skill. And as we grow, may we help others to grow also. Your friends, Stephen, Tom, and Martin. Mm -hmm.